we're back. It's good to see you guys. It's it's been a minute. I haven't seen you since uh, Christmas Eve, so I I slid away. I went away on a holiday to my house. I did I did a whole lot of nada. It was unproductive vacation, except for resting and sleeping and that kind of stuff. But um, thank you for being here this morning. It's good to see your faces. Um, if you're a guest in the back there, we've got bags for you just to say thank you. Um, thanks for making it out. This kind of snowy. It was snowing when I got here, but it's mellowed out a little bit. But it's a nice day. Uh, if you have any tithes or offerings back there in the back, we have the kiosk. You can give there or you can give at lifechurchutah.com. At the kiosk, I think I've mentioned uh, in the past, but just a reminder, the swiper doesn't work. You have to manually put in the number. Uh, I'm not sure why the swiper doesn't work, but if you type in the number, it does go through. Um, and then this Wednesday at the West Valley campus, they are doing another worship and prayer night at 7 o'clock. Um, invite you to go there. I know it's kind of a jaunt for us out here in Tooele to run out to West Valley. It'd be a late night. Um, but if you can make it, it is a good time, uh, a great night of worship. I've been involved with a couple of them, and uh, you walk away blessed. So just wanted to make you aware of that. And then we have a message or a video from Convoy of Hope. Take a look. Hi, this is Hal Donaldson of Convoy of Hope. And five months ago, in response to COVID-19, we set out to distribute 10 million meals. And thanks to the generosity of partners like you, we surpassed that goal in just a matter of weeks. But we knew we had to keep going. So our fleet of tractor trailers filled with food and supplies continued to crisscross the nation. Churches and businesses turned their parking lots into distribution centers and thousands of volunteers gave of their time and many partners made donations just so families could receive the help they need. The results of this united act of compassion have been remarkable. Together, together, we have now distributed over 100 million meals around the globe and more than 80 million of those meals have been distributed right here in the United States. We have met so many people and heard so many stories from families that are struggling to make it through this pandemic. Quite frankly, we've seen lots of tears turn to smiles. We've been able to give them hope. Every can of food, every bottle of water has delivered a message that they aren't alone and we're going to get through this together. But with high unemployment and the growing crisis in developing countries, we know that this isn't time to stop and to just pat ourselves on the back. We're grateful for what's been accomplished. We're grateful for you, but we know we have to do more. There are so many families and children still in need. And so with your help, we're going to continue doing as much as we can for as long as we can. That's our pledge to you. And so on behalf of all the families, all the children receiving help, thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your trust and God bless. Yeah, we can applaud that. That's pretty That's pretty awesome. And you guys are a part of that. You know, a few weeks ago we did um, the One Day to Feed the World, and uh, 
where we challenged each other to give to Convoy of Hope. So you guys are a part of that missionary work. You're part of those meals that are going out to those families. Uh, you know, it's like beating a dead horse. We've talked about it a lot, but last year was crazy. Last year was uh, something that I've never seen in, in my uh, 38 years. So it's hopefully, you know, moving into 2021, it'll be a little bit better. You know, there's something about a new year. There's something about the, this idea that at uh, 12, well, 12, 11.59 p.m. on December 31st, that you hit that, that next minute, you know, that last year was, hindsight was 2020. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But but there's something about a new year. There's something that, that comes with that idea that we get to start something fresh, to start something new. And, um, you know, while I was gone on vacation, we had uh, uh, went to our friend's house for New Year's and a lot of different conversations about where the, the country is at, where churches are at, and, and how uh, we want to see God move in our lives and in the lives of our communities and in our kids' lives. And just this idea that we have this, this fresh start. You know, we, you've got the, the New Year's resolution. You know, a lot of people make them that this is my year for weight loss. I'm going to lose that quarantine 15. Mine's like the quarantine 15 years of, but we'll get there one day. Um, a promotion. This is the year I'm going to get that promotion at the job. Um, my boss is finally going to recognize the work that I do, and I'm going to get that promotion. Or this is the new year for a new baby. We're going to have a, a kid in this new year. Um, we make all sorts of resolutions, and frankly, I kind of gave up on them. Um, I've come to realize that if I wasn't willing to do it before the new year, I'm probably not going to do it in the new year. So I make the promise and break it a couple of weeks later. But... You know, we have resolutions. We're hopeful in this in, in the coming year. And if you're anything like me, you're hoping that 2021 will be just that year, a year of peace, prosperity, love, um, of God's presence, like we were singing about this morning. You know, we're hopeful for that. You know, have you ever been willing to just jump straight into something, immediately get involved, Say, here I am, I'll do it, count me in. In an effort to show you that I, your pastor, am not perfect, I am going to throw myself under the bus. I'm going to, I hope that from this story, I heard an uh-oh. <laughs> um, you learn from my experience and that this will positively affect change in your life. There are many times, many things in my life where I am willing to say, here I am. Yes, I will come and do it. Dig a hole, I'm there. Lay pavers, you got it. Rearrange furniture, depending on the house, I am there. The caveat, I hate moving furniture in my house. Um, when furniture moves in, we find a space that it works, it stays. Allison tries to constantly get me to rearrange, and it's like, but it, it works. So... Why move it? It can stay there till we move or until I die. I'm good with that. 
Why, why fix something that's not broken? Work on a car. Sure thing. I'll be there. Schedule a time to meet, to pray. Yeah, you got it. I'm there. For some things, I can be good at immediately jumping in. Where I struggle are massages. I don't like them. I don't like giving them. I don't like receiving them. Um, it's Allison's like, it, it's a good pain. I'm like, there's no such thing as good pain. I don't, I don't like the feeling of it, and so I don't see the purpose. Why give something that doesn't feel good to me to somebody else, and therefore to me they are irrelevant. But if you ask Allison, she will tell you in full vigor how I don't like to give massages. You know, and it's not to say that I won't or that, that I haven't. It's just, and that I won't put in the good effort. I will. I will, I will massage. But when we're talking 30 to 45 minutes, it's like, come on. Now, I got to have tools and stuff to, to help because my hands, they're just, they're not made for it. But, you know, when you, you rub out that knot in the back and she's like, hey, 15 minutes later, it's still there. Will you do it again? Sorry, I'm whining now. It, it's just, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a fan. But I know what you're saying. How rude. Is it really that big of a deal? Help a lady out. I know. I get it. I, too, am not complete on this journey of faith. I have lots of room to grow. So with accountability from you and my wife and lots of prayer, I'll, I'll make it through, you know. There, there it is. That's my New Year's resolution. I will be more willing to give massages. It's done. But how eager are you? to jump in to something? How eager are you willing to uh, say, you know what, I'm willing to make that change. I'm willing to step in, step outside my comfort zone. I'm willing to do something that I kind of don't want to do, but um, I feel God's leading me to do. Have you ever made an effort towards changing something in your life? Well, to start this new year, we are starting a new series. And this series is called On Your Mark. We are going to be spending the next couple of months going through the Gospel of Mark. And I'm really excited for what is in store for us. Uh, the Gospel of Mark is the shortest of the Gospels, but it is loaded with good stuff. And um, we're going to be taken out, starting from the beginning, going all the way through the book. So... Before we jump into the message, I wanted to give a little bit of a history lesson, if that's okay. Um, a little history on Mark. Who is Mark? Well, his name is John Mark. And as you read in the book of Acts and in different letters in the New Testament, Mark is referred to as John, Mark, and John Mark. Uh, Mark is his Latin surname, so you find that he is referred to Mark the most. He was the cousin of Barnabas. Barnabas was an early missionary uh, of the church with the Apostle Paul. They traveled to a lot of different towns and uh, countries in the region. And the book of Acts shares how Barnabas uh, sold a field that he owned, and he gave those monies to the early church, to the apostles, to move forward the kingdom. And Mark accompanied Paul on a lot of, uh, Mark accompanied Paul and Barnabas on a lot of these missionary journeys. And he even ventured out on his own 
if you go the Egyptian church, they claim Mark as the founder of their church. Other places attributing their origin to Mark are uh, in Ital- Italy, uh, in Aquilia and Venice, of which he is the patron saint, and his symbol is the lion. I found that very interesting. Um, he was a close disciple of Peter. Um, it has been said that a lot of the book's content is from Peter preaching and Mark recording what he was preaching to the people. The book of Mark. Well, it is the third, it is one of the three synoptic gospels, meaning the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke have so many of the same stories and content that when they put, put them side by side, they resemble each other quite a bit. In fact, 90% of Mark's content is found in Matthew, and 50% is found in Luke. So why is that? Well, Mark's gospel was the first one to be written. He wrote his first. And um, what we need to remember is, you, know, you might ask, why are there four gospels? Why four different accounts? Well, what we need to remember, what you may not know, is Matthew wrote his uh, gospel for a predominantly Jewish audience. Luke wrote his for a predominantly Greek audience. John wrote his for the broader seeker. John said uh, in his gospel that this book is written so that you may believe. And Mark wrote his to the Romans. So each uh, author, each writer, is using language that will help that audience, that culture, uh, engage and understand the story of redemption found in Jesus. So as we go through the book of Mark for the next couple months, keep in mind that what Mark is writing, what who he's writing to are converted Romans that are his targeted audience. That It's a group of people that were in power at the time, a group of people that understood power, understood action. And most of Mark's gospel focuses on the miracles of Jesus and the actions of Jesus. So it was something that they could relate to, uh, how God was ushering in his new kingdom. So, without further ado, we will begin in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, and I'm going to read through verse 20. So it's quite a bit of text, so bear with me. Verse 1 says this, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. 
verse 9. In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels ministering to him. Verse 14. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen, and Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for uh, another opportunity to dive into what it is saying to us. So I pray that as we look at the principles in, in these stories, may they speak to our hearts. May you speak to our, our minds. Help us to, to see what you are saying, to hear what you are saying, to understand what you are saying. We thank you and we give you the praise and thanks for your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now when I was putting this together, the thought I had was this. When we are willing, Jesus calls us into his greater purpose for our lives. When we are willing, Jesus calls us into his greater purpose for our lives. So straight out of the gate, we see Mark hits us with the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We get no backstory. We don't get a genealogy like we get in Matthew. We're led straight into the events that propelled Jesus into his ministry. You know, remember um, a couple weeks ago uh, during the Christmas season, we were talking about um, Elizabeth and Mary and them being pregnant at the same time. Well, the, John the Baptist is Elizabeth's son, Jesus' cousin. So Jesus, um, excuse me, John the Baptist, being his, uh, his cousin and God wanting to use him to fulfill a prophecy found in Isaiah, he is led into the wilderness. Um, and his message to the people was, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. Now enter Jesus into the story. He approaches John the Baptist to be baptized. Now as I was doing my studying, something that I found interesting was that Jesus and John would not have known each other by sight. By seeing each other, they wouldn't have, have known. So when Jesus approaches John the Baptist, John doesn't know who he is. You might say, well, they're cousins, and they seem kind of close because Mary went to go visit Elizabeth. How could they not know each other? Well, in Luke chapter 1, verse 80, it says that John grew up in the wilderness. 
Now, there are some scholars that, that speculate uh, based off of evidence found uh, uh, with the Dead Sea Scrolls that he could have possibly grew up with the Essenes, a group of people that lived outside uh, of that region and were kind of like monks. And it, w- it was something that was common in those days where uh, parents would dedicate their child to to God, and they would go stay at a convent. They would go stay at uh, w- with monks or religious teachers. Um, it was really popular in the in the European culture. So they they speculate that perhaps uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth dedicated John, and that they moved him out to stay with the Essenes and grew up in the wilderness. So you have Jesus who grew up in Galilee as a carpenter's son. And John grew up away from society out in the wilderness. So when this first meeting happens, they don't know who each other is. And the thing that is interesting about it is why? What's the importance of that? Well, if they knew who each other was, John probably would have heard the stories of Mary and the virgin birth and all of that that was associated with that. And so John would be proclaiming his family member into this role of Messiah. But now he is a man that doesn't know who he is. And he is doing what God has called him to do, to prepare the way of the Lord. He's not doing it for any other reason but to prepare a way for Jesus to come and to do it for God's glory. To me, that made that that meeting a a little more special. And in some of the other Gospels, um, John does recognize at one point through divine revelation that Jesus is the Messiah. He says, who am I to baptize you? I sh- you should be baptizing me. And he tells John, no, you need to baptize me. And then we see Jesus gets baptized, and we see this great example of the Trinity. We see the Father declaring his pleasure for the Son. This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. We see the Spirit of God descending like a dove down to Jesus who is being baptized by John the Baptist. Three persons in one. One God. So here we see John fulfilling prophecy, prophesied by Isaiah. A call that God had placed on his life long before he even knew that he would be the voice in the wilderness, crying out, preparing the way. It's a great example that when we are willing, Jesus calls us into his greater purpose for our lives. Jesus then goes into the wilderness, and he is tempted by the devil for 40 days. We, uh, last year, spent a great amount of time talking about those temptations and how Jesus overcame each one of the the three that that are recorded in the Bible, and he overcame them through the word of God, telling the devil, for it is written, a reminder of how important it is for us to hide God's word inside our hearts. So when those moments of temptation arise, we can tell uh, the enemy, no, it is written, I will not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And, And it gives us the ability to have victory over the devil and over our own flesh, our own sinful nature. And then we see Jesus. He gets done with the temptation. He's ministered to by the angels, and he moves his way into Galilee. And he walks into Galilee, and he is proclaiming, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. 
We've seen this statement a couple times now. Repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent and believe the good news. What is that? What is repentance? There's a misconception that repentance is this idea of forgiveness. Repent means to turn away, to make a 180. I'm headed this direction, my own plan, my own way, and I tell God I repent from that, and I'm turning the other way, and now I'm following your will. I'm following your guidance. I'm doing what you have called me to do. You see, forgiveness was bought for, purchased by Jesus at Calvary. Forgiveness is there already. When he was on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I believe he was speaking, yes, to the people that were there, but he was speaking to the generations before and the generations that come after us. In that moment, forgiveness was bought for by Jesus for all people. Forgiveness is there for you to receive. We receive it because we can't earn it. It was something that was done that was outside our ability, outside our power, outside our control. We need to receive that forgiveness. So when we repent, we're not saying, God, forgive me, I repent. We're saying, God, I am choosing to turn from this lifestyle, from this way of my life, my thinking, and I am now turning and I am following your direction. I'm following your leading. So what's the good news in that? Why would Jesus call that good news? Well, you see, God wrote the manual for our existence. He knows better what I need for my life than what I think I need for my life. We too easily can be deceived by our own uh, flesh, by our own temptations, our own thought life. But God being God and knowing what we need can lead us into a path that is better for us. Something that we sometimes can't even see for ourselves. So what better news is there that there's this God that loves us, this God that uh, pursues us, this God that desires us, that he would seek us out, buy us uh, our forgiveness, our redemption, our salvation, and then turn around and offer it as a free gift and say, if you simply receive this gift and follow me, I will use you, I will bless you, I will guide you, I will walk with you. This whole concept that we covered last month, Emmanuel, God with us. God wants to be that God that is with you. You know, like I said two weeks ago, God wanted us, we messed up, and God fixed it. He took care of it. What better news is there than that? Then we see Jesus call his disciples. He walks along the beach calling fishermen, Simon and Andrew. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He goes down the beach a bit further and he calls to James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Mark recounts that all four men immediately left their nets to follow Jesus. A word that is used more in the book of John than any other book is the word immediately. This sense of immediate expectation, this uh, willingness to immediately uh, lay something down, to, to pursue it, to go after it. These four men decided to immediately turn and go and follow Jesus. Well, why would they leave immediately? What was it about this call that convinced them to leave what they knew, what they were comfortable with, what they were professionals at? 
Well, I think it's because Jesus used language that they understood. He used language to, commu to communicate to them in a way that it made sense to them. Telling them, you know what, guys? I know that you like the thrill of the hunt. I know that you like catching something that you can't see. You like this, the excitement of the big catch. But now instead of catching fish, I'm going to send you out to catch souls, to be a fisher of men, to grow my kingdom, to be used by me. You see, and then there's the Holy Spirit factor. When we operate in the Holy Spirit, there's something different about us. Jesus gets baptized. The Holy Spirit descends on him. He is now, he is baptized. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. When we operate in the Holy Spirit, there's something different. We operate out of love. We operate out of service. So I would imagine that that was a factor in them leaving what they knew. Here in this text, you know, today we've looked at these all these different men, from John the Baptist to Jesus to the disciples. And they were willing to hang up and do what God had called them to do. Are we willing to do the same thing? Are we willing to step out in faith? Are we willing to say, here I am, Lord. I hear your call. Yes, Lord, I will, I will talk and pray with that person. I will take time out of my day. You know, it goes back to loving uh, radically and to giving uh, generously and, and, and being willing to give of ourselves. Yes, Lord, I will take up that ministry. I might be scared out of my mind. I might not really know what I'm doing, but I know that you're leading me in this direction. I will step out and I will do that. Yes, Lord, I am willing to do and fill in the blank. You see, we all have talents. God doesn't want to remove those talents or push you in a direction to where you don't use those talents. Sometimes he will use us in areas that will be uncomfortable, that will stretch us, that will cause us to grow. We will sometimes just be filling a need because sometimes a need needs to be filled. But so many times we allow these different excuses. Well, that's not my strong suit. That's not my calling. That's, I, I don't have time for that. We find ways to push off, allowing God to use us. We look for counseling. We go to family members. Should I do this? Shouldn't I do this? We go to friends, and then we go to acquaintances, and then we go to the Internet, and, and then we, we finally we make so many excuses, and then we finally land on, well, I'm just waiting on the Lord. I'm just waiting on the Lord to tell me what to do. We all have a call on our life. We all have something, something that God has called us to do. Are we willing to say, yes, Lord, I will repent from living my life the way I want to live my life, and I'm going to turn, and I'm going to follow your call. I'm going to follow your will. I will go where you will lead me. Is your heart willing to answer God's call? Because when we are willing, Jesus calls us into his greater purpose for our lives. When we are willing, Jesus calls us into his greater purpose for our lives. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you want to use us and that you challenge us, that you help us to grow. And I pray that you would help us to step outside of our comfort zones, whatever that might look like. 
I pray that you would use us to do something that is greater, a greater part of your calling, your will for our lives to advance your kingdom, to love our neighbor, to love our family member, our co-workers. Help us, Lord, to hear that call, to be open to, to, to listening to what it is you are calling us to do, and to step out and, and turn from living our lives under our own reign, under our own rule, and following you and, and walking under your direction and under your calling. We bless you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, before I let you go, I have a quick reflection and a challenge. The reflection is this. Think on how willing you are to step out in faith, to do something unknown or unfamiliar. And when you are willing to do it, ask Jesus to speak to you, to guide you in what he is calling you to do. Think about it. What would have happened had John not stepped into God's greater calling for his life? Who would have prepared the way in the wilderness? Who would have been that voice? Who would have been the one leading people to repentance and baptism? What would have happened if the disciples weren't willing to leave the comfort of their nets and their fishing boats to become fishers of men and go and change the world? What would the early church have looked like? What would the disciples look like if they weren't willing to step out in faith? And an extreme hypothetical, I understand that when I say this, but what would have happened if Jesus wasn't in tune with the Father? What would salvation look like? Where would there be a salvation story? What happens when you and I don't heed the call that God has put on our life? How does the story change? How is the story not impacted? And don't forget the key element. God didn't send them out on their own. John, the ba John baptized with water, but Jesus with the Holy Spirit. You see... John the Baptist and the disciples accomplished what they did because the Holy Spirit came upon them. They were endued with power. The, the Holy Spirit is a comforter, but he's also an empowerer. He takes us and he propels us and he uses us. And that's what God wants to do through us. He wants to empower us to go out into all of the world and make disciples of that world. You know, our mission statement, we are called to lead the people of the valley to be more like Jesus. Are we willing to step outside the comfort zone and allow the Holy Spirit to empower us to make an impact in the lives of those around us? Because when we are willing, Jesus calls us into his greater purpose for our lives. I love you guys. Thank you for being here. I'll see you next week.